How many of you um, consider yourself a person of mercy? May I see your hand? How many of you find it easier to give mercy when you think a person needs it? May I see your hand? How many find it difficult to give mercy when you think a person doesn't deserve it? Okay. Um, how many of you know someone that is not have, they don't have one ounce of mercy? Raise your hand. Hopefully you're not married to them. No mercy. So we deal with the Beatitudes. It's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount had to be the most important sermon of all. It's when Jesus breaks the news and invades the gray matter in the cranium of those listening and tickles the intellect of saying, boy, this is what you thought, this is what you believe, but here's the new law. Here's the deal. It's not an eye for an eye, not a tooth for a tooth anymore. You forgive, you show mercy. All of us need mercy. My goal today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is to just move the needle in our lives, our lives, just a little bit. My prayer is that you will understand that God's presence in your life is stronger than your personality it's supposed to be. I was born that way, forget it. When you were redeemed, the Bible says that old things have passed away. And behold, the things that you were weak in could not perform in became new in you. And that's the beauty of salvation, the presence of God. My desire also is to reach some of you who can't wait for this service to be over. <laughs> You're here and you have gotten comfortable and and in your mind's eye, you're saying, okay, what's he going to say today? Well, I want you to know before it's over, we are all going to hit the trauma center of God's surgical operation on all of our hearts and our minds and our spirits. So here is one of the things in Matthew 5, verse number 7, and it is the focus of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Turn to your neighbor and say, listen, you need this. Just go ahead and do it now. You're going to participate. We're going to be participatory. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay? God blesses those who are merciful. Happy are those. That's what it means. Blessed is happy are those that are merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The word servant and minister in Scripture uh, uh, mean the same. To serve and to minister is the same. So I'm going to be a servant, I'm going to be a minister, and that's what the Bible is all about. So he says, well, what is mercy? Mercy, well, you might be thinking it's forgiving people who don't deserve it. You deserve for me to knock your head off, but I'm going to give you mercy here and, uh, and just not do that. Or it's helping people who can't, they're pitiful, wretch. You know, they can't make it on their own, so I'm going to have a little mercy on them, and I'm just going to help them. You know, I don't know how they got to where they're at, and if they'd have paid better attention, been smarter and brighter, and hadn't have spent all their money and acted like a fool and an idiot, they wouldn't be where they're at. So I'm just going to kind of step in. Oh, yes, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to help them a little bit. Let me tell you the big reason mercy is important. Neither of those would be totally correct at all. But it is the character of God. 
You say, I want to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Then you're going to have to learn to practice mercy and then more mercy the next day and more mercy the next day. And when you practice mercy and it's a part of your life and you say, I want to be a believer, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I just don't want to be a mouthpiece. I want my life to emulate and imitate the love of God. Then you're going to have a better marriage, better relationships, better friendships. And that's just the way that it's going to be. So let me give you a few reasons why I I should be merciful as it relates to the characteristic of God. Number one, God has shown us mercy. God has shown me mercy. Say that with me. God has shown me mercy. Say it again. God has shown me mercy. Hundreds of scriptures that relate to mercy, either mercy, forgiveness, and God's grace. Paul steps to the plate in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, and this is what he says. God's mercy is abundant, and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, He brought us to life with Christ, and it is by God's grace or God's mercy that you have been saved. And then the writings of Jesus in Matthew 18, shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? It's important that we have mercy and understand. You remember the servant. He worked for the king. The king called him in. He said, hey, you owe me money. It's time you paid up. I've extended the loan over and over again. I ballooned it over again. And I brought it. Now it's time for you to pay up. And here's what I'm going to do. Do you have the money? No, sir, I don't have the money, almighty king. All right, if you don't have the money, I'm going to take your wife. I'm going to take your children. They're going to go to work out in the fields until that debt is paid. Oh, king, please don't do that. I love my wife. I don't want my kids out there in the hot sun. King said, said, okay, you look like you're weeping. It's real tears there. Here's what I'm going to do. I need to do a mercy deed today, so I'm going to forgive your debt. And it was thousands of dollars. Man, the guy got up, he walked out, went right down to Beef O'Brady's. Found a guy there behind the counter that worked at Beef O'Brady's and grabbed him by the throat. That's what the Bible says. Grabbed him by the throat. That's radical. And said, hey, I want you to know you owe me $15.95. And I want it now. The guy said, I don't have the money. I I just don't have the money. It squeezes that throat. No, you're going to pay up or I'm going to beat the living daylights out of you. That's paraphrasing the Bible. It's my version. Same principle. Guy says, I don't have it. He slapped him across the face a couple of times. The manager came along and broke it up and said, get out. Don't come back. And then the king, somebody tweeted the king. He did. Hey, you remember the guy yesterday that I saw you give mercy to? The tweet. He went right down to Beef O'Brady's and a guy that owed him $15.95 grabbed him by the throat. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. Fox News is reporting it. It's unbelievable. ESPN got a hold of it because it was in a sports bar. King said, summon him back here. He sent the agents down and picked him up, brought him before the king. He said, did I not forgive your debt? Did I, did I, I, I forgave your debt. I didn't just extend your loan again. And from what I heard, you went right down to Beef O'Brady's. You gabbed a guy by the throat and you choked him for $15.95. Is that true or false? Don't say a thing. It's true. I got witnesses right there and I've got my tweet. What did he do? Threw him in prison. You don't even deserve to be walking around. Why? 
The man received mercy, but is not willing to give mercy. And then God commands us to be merciful. Michael says, God has told you what is good and what he requires from you. Here it is. To do what is right with others, to love being merciful to others, being merciful to others, and to live humbly in fellowship with God. God speaks in Hosea 6, verse number 6, right there. I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to be merciful. You know what he's saying? You can come in all you want to and sing hallelujah. You can sing amazing grace. You can sing to God be the glory. You can sing all the other songs. And he said, if you go out there and you treat your family like dirt, forget your worship. If you come in here and you say, man, I paid my tithe and I've been in church two out of four Sundays. And then you go back out and you treat your friends like dirt. Hey, forget it. You come in here and you worship, you hug necks, you fellowship, et cetera, et cetera. And you raise a hand. I even raised my hand today. And you go and then you leave here and you go to Beef O' Brady's. You go to Red Lobster. You go to Steak and Shake. You go to Long whatever it is. You go to Outback somewhere. You go to those places. And the minute she doesn't get your half and half tea fixed just like you think it ought to be fit. My Lord, have mercy. I'm, I said half and half, not, not sweet and, and a little bit. I said half and half. I, I can't. And you treat her like dirt forget your worship is that plain enough that's yard talk come on preacher talk to us go ahead and say it talk to us sure he says that's behavior that negates what it is you do here's the third thing i'm going to need more mercy in my future how many of you know that you are you are going to make mistakes just turn to your neighbor and say you better listen up because you're going to need a lot of mercy for what i'm telling you I'm telling you, you're going to need a lot of mercy. You're going to make mistakes. You know what you're going to do? You're going to sit here and you're going to say, but, using the term but instead of the other word you use, because, hey, it's natural to say the other word. I'm going to straighten up. I'm going to use the word but. And you get out there, somebody upsets you, and you're going to go to the other word. You're going to need mercy. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Why? Because you're going to need mercy. The Bible says that you cannot receive mercy if you're unwilling to give mercy. And you're not going to be perfect until you get to heaven. James 2.13, you must show mercy to others or God won't show mercy to you. And the person who shows mercy can stand without fear and judgment on the judgment day. When you're judged as a believer for your works, you don't have to say, God, I blew it there. I said I wasn't going to do it again. I did it again. And boy, I, I, I got to tell you, I did that, but I did it out of a motive to benefit me. And he says, you don't have to stand there in fear. God said, I'm going to show you a little mercy. And you don't have to be afraid when you stand there. Proverbs 14, 21 says, if you want to be happy, be kind to those in need. It is a sin to despise anyone. That's number four. Showing mercy brings happiness. Blessed are, happy are those who show mercy. Proverbs eleven seventeen. A merciful person helps himself, but a cruel person hurts himself. So he said, you have a better opportunity of being happy. He goes on to say, your own soul is nourished when you show mercy. So if he said, if you want to be happier, more content, just, hey, show mercy. How am I going to do that? I mean, you're, you're talking here to a human being. I mean, I, I have traits. I have a temper. I, my dad, was he wasn't merciful at all, and I got a bucket load of his personality. 
My mama never said, I love you. I mean, it's hard for me. Hard to be to my son. I ain't showing my son mercy. I want him to be a man. Yeah, a man that's calloused in his heart, a man that doesn't know how to show affection, a man that has all the wrong motives, a man that cannot acknowledge God. Is that what you want to raise? You don't have to raise a son to be a man and expect him to be a patsy. You can raise a man with a tender heart who will stand on his own two feet and give his word as his bond. That's the kind of man that you want to raise. Come on, put your hands together. Preach to me. Preach to me, preacher. So how are you going to do that? How are we going to get better? I am speaking to MWB right here. Be patient with other people's quirks and weirdness. Oh, Lord, there are some nutty people out there. One of the beauties that I get out of going the mall or going anywhere is sitting on a bench somewhere while Sharon does her shopping and watch some of the quirkiest looking people come by. I think, how in the world did, she, what did she ever see in him? He walks like a lurch, doesn't like he can take two steps in a row. What does she see in him? Y'all ever done that? A beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There's some people that you don't want to hang out with. You know why? They get on your last nerve. On her side of the family, of course. Quirky people. How do we deal with quirky people? We come to the realization that we all have irritating habits. Sir, you can be as irritating as two days long sometime. Lady, you are not perfect. Your little nagging, I mean, whatever it is that you have, that is enough is enough. We all have those. We all have idiosyncrasies. You understand? We all have, we all have them. So if you're going to start judging and not give mercy to somebody you think, buddy, I, I don't know what in the world's going to, and you know what we often do? We have an anger problem. Things doesn't go the right way. Some, some person comes up, says the wrong thing. They don't perform what they're going to do, and we blow up. Why? Because we lack that mercy that's there. Some marriage advice for those of you that are married, happy or not is Ephesians 4 2. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. In other words, understand, sir, you married a sinner, mister. You did, but she married a bigger sinner. <laughs> two imperfect people cannot make a perfect relationship and marriage. You have your faults in the marriage. She has her faults. But as I said last week, if you want a great marriage, then it's the union of two great forgivers. Amen? Madam, turn to your husband right now and say, I forgive you. A miracle. Some of you never thought she'd say it. But here's the big deal. Sir, turn to your little woman and say, I forgive you, darling. And I really do mean it. Hello? See what a healing service we're having today. You can leave here happily ever after. You see, marriages don't die because of one 
difficulty. They don't die because somebody violated that marriage. They die by the little digs and the little unforgiveness and the little innuendos and the nagging and this, that, and the other. But we make allowances for each other's faults. James 2.13 says, the man who makes no allowances for others will find none made for him. None. None. He goes on in James 3, then the wise, the wiser, the older you get, hopefully you get wiser, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. Try that out in the parking lot, willing to yield to others. <laughs> yield to others. Help anyone, here's another, help anyone around you who's hurting. There are a lot of hurting people here. A lot of people in this room right now, a lot of single families that are hurting. People have broken hearts, hearts been slashed out, cut out, stomped on. Men and women, a lot in financial challenge and, and reverses and difficulty. When you say, well, the economy's recovering, they say, not me. Not me, I'm, I'm going into debt. Some, some of you look at the bank balance every single day to be certain, oh God, I hope I don't overrun before I get paid. And it's not that you're spending foolishly, it's because you say, I'm just trying to pay the bills. I've got two or three kids that I have to feed, etc. The people around you, many of them are hurting every single day. So a man comes to Jesus one day and he says, hey, you're the great teacher, tell me what the greatest commandment is. Well, the greatest commandment is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your what? Neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. I was in a restaurant with a couple the other night. A little girl couldn't get the sweet half and half right. She bought out cold French fries for my granddaughter. She was snipey and smart. She bought out the wrong dressing and she was copying an attitude and I felt a cloud of darkness come over me <laughs> it's like it was an Andy's igloo in Winter Haven it just I'm in Winter Haven not many people know me over here <laughs> And I heard a voice. She's your neighbor. I remember the series I preached on she's your neighbor, he's your neighbor. I thought, Jesus, why do you have to show up when I don't need you right now? Hello? Hello? Shortly thereafter, someone said, hey, Pastor Blackburn, how are you doing? What are you doing over here? I said, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. God is so good. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> you see, so love the Lord. That's it. So Jesus said, there's a story I want to tell you. Man headed to Jericho. That's an Arab country, by the way, now. Head of Jericho, he gets beat up, gets a living daylights beat out of him, and three individuals come along. The first two were supposed to be individuals that would give him a break, give him care, and give him attention, and they just turned and walked around him. They were afraid. They weren't doing what they should have been doing, and one man come, wasn't his race, wasn't his culture, wasn't of his tribe, reached down, picked him up, said, looks like somebody beat the living daylights out of you. 
I'm going to take you to the local motel. He took him to Holiday Inn Express, told the manager there, call the doctor in. Let's see if we can get him bandaged up. And here, I'm going to give you some money and leave it with you for his room and his board and his food and uh, whatever the doctor bill is and, and get, him, get him fixed up. And I'm going to be back through next week. And if there's any bills that, that was incurred for his care, I'll pay them then. And Jesus said, uh, then who is this man's neighbor? And the man said, why, the guy who reached out and gave him a helping hand. That was your neighbor, the one who showed mercy to him. Proverbs 3.27, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. Romans 12.8, when you do acts of mercy, show mercy with cheerfulness. Well, I'm helping you out because preacher said I ought to help you out. Good thing I'm here. You wouldn't make it, buddy. No, it says be cheerful about it. Be happy that you had an opportunity. Number, number three, give people a second chance. Say that out loud. Give people a second chance. How many of you know what it's like to get a second chance? Come raise your hand. Keep it up. How many know what it's like to get a third chance? Keep it up. How many know what it's like to get a fourth chance? Fifth chance? Sixth chance? I'm telling I could go right on to millions. I'm glad I got a million chance. People a second chance. Well, let me point this out to you. Church people could be the most judgmental people on the face of the earth. Well, how do you know? Because I got experience. <laughs> Hi, brother. God bless you. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example. Here it is. In our culture, we're supposed to forgive the fallen, forgive those that hurt us. And we do, because humanistically, here, here's what happens. If somebody hurts you, we do one of two things, if not both. We want to get even. And number two, we want to write them off. And most of the time, it's both. I'm going to get even with you. I'm going to write you off because you're a jerk. That's our humanistic, natural inclination. But Paul says, wait a minute, please, hold the phone. Ephesians 4. Don't get bitter, angry, or use harsh words that hurt each other. Don't yell at one another or curse or even be rude. Boy, he's just tightening it up on us, isn't he? Instead, be kind and merciful and forgive others. Just as God forgave you because of Christ. So I'm going to pause for a minute. Maybe make a mental note of somebody that you ought to forgive. Somebody that might have hurt you. Somebody you might have cursed. Somebody rubbed you wrong. And ask yourself, how long am I going to hang on to that? Because until I can give them forgiveness and mercy based on what that says, I'm not going to get what I need when I need it. It's like a morgue. It's quiet. Not many people talk back in the coroner's office. So the six natural non-spirituals is don't get bitter, angry, harsh, yell, curse, rude, but be merciful. We rate ourselves. Victory Church, 
Victory Church, as long as I am lead pastor, is going to be a church of second chances. Victory Church is not going to be judgmental. Well, if you're not judgmental after two or three times, it means that you condone it. Shut your mouth. Jesus settled that with old mouthy Peter. Well, hey, how many times are you going to forgive him? Well, once, turn the other cheek and then slap him. Uh, three times. How about that? No, I'll go seven times. No, seven times seven. What's he say? Hey, second chances come in droves over and over and over and over again. You understand? You know why? Because look at your life. Look at my life. We desire to be that church of second chances and understand that. Do good to those who hurt you. If they hurt me, it boils down to this. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. It's what they need, not what they deserve. And God does that for you and me. He gives me mercy. I wouldn't be alive if it were not for the mercy of God. And then pay attention to this. Look at this. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. So if you see someone that's out of sort, that is on a wild fire run, hurting and raving and relentless, let me tell you, they're hurt hurt people hurt people and you and i need to give the massive doses of mercy luke 6 says love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting nothing in in return in other words, give the mercy lend to them without expecting anything well they didn't send me back a note that they got my christmas card i tell i ain't gonna do anything for them next year don't and keep the card you sent Because mercy says, wow. Remember the four reasons God has shown mercy to me? He commands us to be merciful. And I'm going to need mercy in my future. And mercy is my key to happiness. Then anything that I hold on as it relates to hurt will make you miserable. I learned. I had to learn that in ministry. Give people the benefit of the doubt. They didn't mean what they said. And no one in the deep of your heart, you know they meant what they said. They're frothing at the mouth. But if you're going to make it, you're going to, they didn't mean it. They lost their mind. Always behave the same way you did before they injured you or the offense. Why? What does that do? That gives you liberty. You've heard me say this a hundred times. Create avenues in your mind that you can put stuff on it and send it out there into oblivion somewhere. Don't hang on to it. Don't let them get under your skin. Put it out there. Gone. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm just letting that go. Because when you hang on to stuff and you let stuff get under your skin and you let things get on your nerve and your last nerve. And you say, I'm going to get even with them. And not only that, I'm going to write them off. Then, my friend, you are lower than they are. And when you forgive them, you hold yourself morally accountable because you've done the right thing. And the right thing says that your spirit man is more powerful than your human nature. And God says, I'm pleased with that. Love your enemies. This is what the Scripture, do good to them. Lend them without expecting anything in return back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be the children of the Most High God because God is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Be merciful just as God has been merciful to us. And then be kind to those who offend you. In our culture, in our society today we have verbal attacks facebook light it up 
Tweet, Twitter, Snapchat, all of it. If you take issue with everything everybody's got to say that you don't disagree with, you're going to be a miserable person and you're going to be focused on things that will be non-productive for you. And certainly doesn't bring God any glory. Well, somebody ought to give them a piece of their mind. Somebody asked me that, preacher, why don't you ever speak up on that issue on Facebook? Because I don't have to. I mean, God and the Holy Book and the Holy Spirit had straightened about. You think my little post is going to make a difference? If hurt people hurt people, how in the world am I ever going to be a pastor to a person that's hurt and I weigh in and it brings them more pain? Come on, preacher, you're preaching now. How many of you believe, how many of you know the subject I'm talking about this morning? May I see your hand? Come on, help me out. How many of you know the subject that I'm talking about? What is it? What is it? Here it is. How many of you've got it? Raise your hand. Well, that wasn't enough hands, so I'm going to keep going. Here we go. Mercy. Be kind to those who offend you. Well, there are people today, let me pause. There is a demonic force that is moving in our world today that has nothing to do with political party, that has nothing to do with with anyone's platform, but what you are observing today in wide open spaces are a lot of people who are angry, a lot of people that are hurt, a lot of people that do not have a focus in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in the last days, that's exactly what you are going to see. So you're going to see people post things about the church people is just a bunch of so-and-so and so-and-so and the churches today and the preachers today, and you just want to go grab them by the throat. That was, that was my nature. It is still my human nature. Being the son of a butcher. But what kind of person would I be if I let my human nature lead my walk and my behavior? Well, you can speak for yourself because you're the preacher. No, you're the servant. You're the minister. So in that, sure, there are people you want to go after. What about the Muslims? What about the Arabs? What about this? What about, what about that? Here's what I know. You will never win your enemies to Jesus as long as you keep them your enemy. But if you decide to say, I want to let the light of Jesus Christ take a strong stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, And I'm going to befriend those, and I'll give you a reason to do that in a moment, that are lost in their heart and in their mind. We're going to defend. You know why people hate the church? Because our message is truth. God's Word is truth. And that activity will come against the powers of darkness. So here's what what Paul says. He says in 1 Timothy 3, Even though I was, you might want to write that down, 1 Timothy 3. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners 
Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for others who would believe on him and receive eternal life. If you and I would have been there, you and I would have never offered redemption to the Apostle Paul, who was Saul. I mean, taking your brother's wife, taking your grandchild, taking your child, having that child slaughtered, going to the church and gutting the church. What mercy does he have? He said, but had I not received mercy because I was ignorant, and he was the most intelligent man of his day, but I was ignorant and filled with unbelief. And when you see what you see today, just chalk it up. God, you're moving. Chalk it up to people who does not understand truth. And make yourself available to declare the truth in love to everybody you know. Jude 22 and 23, show mercy to those who have doubts, saving others by snatching them from the fire. And show mercy to them while being careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. Build bridges, here's another, to the unpopular how many of you were the most popular among the top popular people in your high school class? May I say you were the top pop. I mean, you were the, you were the big, you know, you know, what can I say? I was a cheerleader, you know, you might say ladies. And, 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 and you, you might say, well, man, I was a jock, you know, football. Good Lord, have mercy. I ran in one game a thousand yards. I mean, just nobody believes that. Unless you were playing Little League. So what am I saying? Most of, most, of, most of us were not. So if Jesus said, I'm just going to choose the popular, you're left out. You're left out. So what are we to do? To build bridges to love the unpopular. So there's a thing called premeditated murder. How many of you understand premeditated murder? Here it is, just for those of you who don't. Premeditated murder says, I had someone that I wanted to kill, so I planned it, I created a strategy, I timed it out, and at the right moment, according to my plan and my strategy, with full knowledge of what I was doing, I killed them. That's premeditated murder. How many of you have committed premeditated murder and not been caught yet? May I see your hand? We'll cuff you and stuff you right now. <laughs> what about premeditated mercy? You know, some of you, your nature is to give everybody a piece of your mind. Ain't nobody going to push me around. There's a reason why you feel that way. Nobody's going to get an edge on me. Well, how would that work in Jesus' day if he just said, nobody's going to get edge on me. I'll melt you down right here. Premeditated mercy says, there are people that I know that have harmed me and hurt me and bad-mouthed me. There are people that I know that I've written off. Premeditated mercy says, I'm going to try to figure a strategy to deny myself and create an olive branch to them and help build some bridges to them to be able so that I can talk to them about Jesus Christ.
Matthew, was uh, his job was tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collector. This is before he's redeemed. And we find in the gospel there, Matthew, Matthew invites Jesus to his house. He had a great home. He invited some harlots with him. He invited some other tax collectors and said, Jesus, you come and bring some of your disciples to dinner. We're going to have dinner. And Jesus went. And some of the Pharisees outside in the courtyard said, how in the world, ask some of the disciples, how in the world can Jesus go with that tax collector, with all those harlots there and with all those other tax collectors? Look at, look at him. Look at him. And Jesus heard them. And he hears you, by the way. And this is what he said. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And when Jesus went, he was not afraid to be accused of associating with the uncommon, with the unpopular people. There's some people, my friend, that need your friendship. You don't know the total of their insecurities, but they look at you and would, would wish just one time you would notice them, accept them, say something to them. And we walk right by them every single day. Jesus said in this example, he said, listen, I'm not afraid to be guilty by association. And this is where Jesus said it only twice here in the Testament. He repeats Hosea 6, 6. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices for what I've come to call sinners not those who think they're already good enough. And Jesus said, extend that. Finally, value relationship over rules. How many of you have ever gone over the speed limit? How many of you Somebody get on the piano and play just as I am. <laughs> How many of you have ever received a ticket? I call it buying stock. <laughs> Your state and local municipality. How many of you regularly go over the speed limit? How many of you, please pay attention. In the balcony, y'all haven't moved up there, but don't think I don't see you, okay? <laughs> How many of you never speed? Raise your hand. I mean, you're, you just never, never speed. Just go ahead. Are you scratching your head or are you holding it up? <laughs> yeah, you're scratching your head. I mean, never speed. I had one in the first service. Surely, surely there's one here. Where? You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> so Frank Kendrick, how would you like it if someone's in the vehicle with you and it's 70 miles an hour and you hit 71 and they say you better slow down, you're over the speed limit. How would you feel if you hit 72? Oh, you're going two miles over the limit. You better back off, Frank. You run up to 75, and it's 70. Frank, you better back off. 
You're going five miles over the limit. Now, this is the third time they've interrupted your driving skills. You run on up to 80 because, quite frankly, you wish they would evaporate. But you'd like to hear them one more time. So you're going 80. You're going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Now, one of two things are going to happen, my friend. You're going to turn over there, and you're going to say in a nice, gentle way, shut up. I mean, not that, well, yeah. Or you're going to stop the car, and you're going to say, you drive. You drive. Or you're going to say, get out. Hopefully you're not married, and if you are, hopefully you signed a prenup, okay? Right there. Well, what's the point in all of that? You see, we, we know what the speed limit is, but, but the, the point is, Jesus said, love is the fulfillment of the law, not the law. So it's not, I'm not suggesting you go out there and speed, take off, do all things wrong, break every rule that you can, because I don't have to tell you to do that. We do it enough. But what he is saying, that there are times that it doesn't fit the mold. For example, when uh, Jesus, of course, and his, his disciples are walking, and they are starving to death, and it's the Sabbath. And they go through a field, and they begin to, begin to glean some of the wheat in the field, and they begin to eat it. And the Pharisaical community see it, and they scream at Jesus and say, what is it that your disciples are going through the fields and picking up food, and it's the Sabbath. They're not supposed to do anything. That is against the law. And Jesus said, don't you remember when King David and his soldiers were hungry? And they went into the house of God, and the holy bread for communion was there, and they reached and ate the bread. Do you remember that? No. He said, you would have not judged those innocent men, if you knew the real meaning of the Scripture, I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. Well, you know they don't deserve mercy, so I'm not going to give it to them. You know that she became pregnant out of wedlock, and we told her and told her and told her and told her, but she did it anyway. I told her if she plays with fire, she's going to get burned out. We know what the law is. We know what the law is. Dearly beloved, we gather together aside these witnesses, bring together this gorilla and this woman in holy matrimony. If anyone know of any reason why they may not be lawfully joined together, let them speak now forever, hold their peace. Sir, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold, for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, in sickness and health, till death do you part? I do. I do. I do. Five years later, did I see in the paper? So and so got a divorce. Why, he said, till death do you part. And she ain't dead yet. Was murder or divorce? He chose divorce. She ain't dead yet. That's the law. And we know that, don't we? But more than 50% of you, 
in this room right now have experienced divorce personally or someone in your immediate family has experienced what I call the second death. It's called divorce. But what do you do with them? You make them feel more badly than they already are. Do you point your righteous little finger at them? Do you make them feel like that they're not a part? Do you remind them of their failure? Do you continually condemn? Or do you say, God, if it were not for your grace, I too would be in that number. We know what the law is. And Jesus said, what do you do? You simply forgive them and you love them. And may God help us. Titus 3, 5, it is not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. Not because I'm good, but of his mercies. Hebrews 4, 16, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. For there we will find mercy. Thank you, Jesus. For giving me mercy and let me live in a way that lets the world know I'm a mercy giver. Amen? Amen. Could you stand on your feet, please? And could you put your hands together and let's just thank God for His word. Let's bow our heads for a moment. And we prayed a moment ago. I'm sure you noticed that as we took communion together, we prayed a sinner's prayer. And I pray that you prayed it. If you find yourself uh, that before you took communion, that you prayed that prayer and got every sin out of the way, that was important. The Bible says in Jesus in his teaching and Paul in the New Testament that a lot of people abused communion. They took it and they were fake. They're really not serving Jesus. They didn't want to be embarrassed, so they just partook together. And he said, that's why so many of you are sick and you've died. Because you've not honored the sacredness of the moment. And maybe you prayed that prayer at that time because it was a little bit of pressure to pray the prayer. I don't want that pressure to be there. I want your heart to be pure. I want you to know that without Jesus, you, you don't have any hope. But with Jesus, things begin to work together. Some of you in your life, you've overcome a lot of hurt and pain. And you're in this room today. You have every reason to be angry and every reason to be bitter and hateful. But you've, you're learning and you're growing and you're realizing that God and his church needs to be a priority in my life. You know what it means during the week when, you know, you're behaving and living your own life and accountable to very few. God will always be in your presence. And you're doing better, and I've watched you do better, and I've watched you grow, and I've followed you. Many of your snaps and Twitters and Facebook, and I'm so happy. But maybe you're here and you know in your heart of hearts you've not been genuine I want you to know this morning is a good morning to be genuine 
Some would say genuine. However you say it, I'm going to ask everybody one more time to repeat this prayer. Would you do it? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I am sorry. I, am sorry. I, desire to be redeemed. I desire to be redeemed. I want to follow you. I, want to follow you. I don't want to do things that I know are sinful. So help me have the boldness and the spiritual strength to do what's right that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The altar workers are here. If you need prayer in your body, he will heal you. I got that word from the Lord this morning. Just during my time of meditation and prayer, I know every time we come, he can heal, but the Holy Spirit said, I want to heal some people today. Thank you, Jesus. I know he's able. I love you, every last one of you, in a way that you cannot imagine. I've been here 28 years now. I've seen people come and go. I've seen babies grow up that I've dedicated, that I've married. You might think that makes me older. It's not. I'm just seasoned. And everything is better with a little seasoning, I think. So whatever God needs to do for you, you need healing, you need to stand in. We're going to sing this song once. I'm going to give it a benediction for you type A's. We're about to wind up. Have mercy here. You come forward. Would you do it? We're going to wait just a moment. Here we go.